Welcome everybody to episode 38 of the Blue Skies Dronecast, the podcast by UAV Hub. This is a podcast for the UK drone industry discussing everything from the UK regulations, new drones and also speaking to you, the people within the drone industry. Presented this week, as always, by Tom and Adam. So uh, welcome along everybody, just me and Adam uh, for you this week. So uh, how are you doing Adam, all, all good? All good, so let's say, uh, as we were just speaking beforehand, a little bit of something on the chest, hopefully it's not the uh, the big, the, the big, big one. C word. The big C word that we should, that, yeah. that must not be named. But, no, um, exactly. Other than that, pretty good. So, um, how are you, Tom? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I've actually got um, something to sort of say, you know, or, or, or sort of some some exciting information, I guess, really. So I've just recovered from uh, COVID, so uh, that that's always exciting. Uh, and uh, I've also just got back from uh, America as well, so that was uh, a great sort of week off, I suppose, really. Although the only downside is that uh, it is about uh, three o'clock in the morning for me at the moment, so uh, hopefully that won't affect uh, affect this episode too much. But uh, we'll push on anyway. It's the uh, the downside of having a holiday, isn't it? I guess, really. But uh, but so no, if we're bit, so that. if we're both a bit, uh, bit, bit not as enthusiastic, say we do both <laughs> apologise. We will be for the next episode. We'll be hopefully much better. That's it. Yeah, we'll try our best anyway. So uh, hopefully this episode will be interesting, though, for uh, all of our listeners. It's all about uh, the emergency services uh, exemption. So we're going to be talking through that and kind of explaining kind of what's happened with that uh, fairly recently, which I think is quite interesting for a lot of listeners. Uh, And also we've got a couple of questions to answer um, as well towards the end of the episode. So hopefully um, uh, sort of uh, nice and uh, straightforward. So uh, without further ado, I think uh, we'll uh, kick off uh, with the sort of the, the main topic, I suppose really so we're going to be talking about like I said the uh, general exemption and uh, perhaps Adam if you want to sort of kick us off with kind of uh, what it was and sort of what's been happening and uh, where it is currently I suppose really yeah so there fun enough there was a a general exemption it was the ORS 1233 Um, you won't be able to you can still kind of I suppose Google it, but you won't find the original document. It was um, General Exemption E4506, and it was withdrawn on the 11th of February 2022, so um, from shooting this over a a month ago, probably about six weeks now. Mm. Um, It was first published on the 31st of July 2017, so it's been around for a few years, and the, the original intention of this General Exemption was so that the emergency services could react to emergency situations with a drone and going above and beyond the requirements that are laid down in what is now an operational authorization. Um, very similar to, um, you know, if you see a, a you know, police ambulance or, or fire service, you know, going through a red light, you know, it's, it allows them to, I put in quotations, break the law as it were, you know, they can go above and beyond it, but won't be prosecuted for it if it is for, um, you know, saving saving a life, or you know, saving life or limb. So that's yeah. that's the original intention. You know, it wasn't. No, it was never designed for any planned missions. So you know, if they were doing, you know, they, I'll say, police. You know, potentially um, investigating something, or you know, mm. looking, you know, or surveillance. It wasn't designed for that. It was designed for reactionary events. You know, at a, if there was a major fire, or you know, a terrorist incident, or or search and rescue. Um, it's it's designed to react to a situation, help those pilots um with the with the crews on the ground in these reactive situations 
Yeah, yeah. So obviously, um, just sort of going back a step, I suppose, if for, for, for people who don't know, uh, obviously all the emergency services uh, crews still have to sort of come through the, the GVC or the PFCO course, obviously as a kind of a baseline. But obviously, if that's all they had, it wouldn't be overly useful because there might be suddenly an emergency call. They couldn't then sit down for two hours and do their, you know, their pre-site survey, their on-site survey and stuff like that. That wouldn't really work. And obviously most of the time they'll have to fly in potentially dangerous areas congested areas and so again they're not going to be able to start to brief everyone and it, it it gets a bit muddy and a bit difficult so i think this is where the exemption kind of kicks in isn't it adam i think it enables them to kind of effectively almost do what they need to do to get the shots to get the job done uh while still being safe uh and and and, and still kind of yeah uh being as safe as possible i suppose really that's how that's i think the mindset isn't it that's it you know it's it's balancing up the the risk on the ground so you know what if if there is somebody missing you know if it is that if we don't find them this person might be injured or they might die you know that's them that's the person on the ground to go right I need to just do what I need to do to find this person. There is still some kind of, there is still a a limit to that kind of scope, and we'll kind of discuss that yeah. um, shortly. But it really opens up that you know, uh, with an operational authorization uh, PDRA one, you can only go out to a maximum of five hundred meters from the remote pilot. Um, you know, the the ceiling limit is four hundred feet from the the mm. closest point on the surface of the Earth. You know, that's those are the standard kind of distances. Whereas with this exemption, it allows you to go above and beyond that to an extent um, which will help out those remote pilots on the ground uh, yeah. those emergency service remote pilots on the ground and that's the key thing it's just, this it, exemptions only for um, the emergency services not for um, you know Joe blogs the public to use it even if it is in an emergency for the public yeah. it's only for the emergency services who hold what is now an operational authorization it has to be a current operational authorization that's right yeah and they they're effectively then saving a life which means everything is much more important now and so they can potentially go f fly further and fly higher and stuff like that which i think makes sense because otherwise it would almost be a little bit pointless them using a drone because it would be quite restrictive with the types of work they were doing i suppose so that's the idea so that's kind of the background i guess really so i suppose to start with um why was it withdrawn obviously it sounds like a really good thing to be able to use and uh, to have it withdrawn feels to me a little bit worrying doesn't it <laughs> yeah so uh, it's one of those that w it was withdrawn really quite you know without almost without warning you know it was mm. only through you know people fight you know posting it on linkedin for us and you know and we we got it passed down from chris rainford who's mm. um who'd spotted it and he, he let us know about it uh so if you don't know about chris rainford um check out one of our earlier podcasts he's also one of our uh, examiners um x-fire service uh, worth a listen actually discusses the emergency services um and how they use the exemptions in, in an yeah, earlier podcast yeah. definitely worth checking out it might be episode nine or 16 off the top of my head <laughs> you'll be able to find it um yeah. anyway it was withdrawn primarily because the the wording that it references it references certain articles that no longer exist so uh, um if you weren't aware we adopted a new set of regulations on the uh, 31st of december 2020 so you know well over 12 months ago now and it removed some articles um so article 93 article 95 top of my head um are referenced in the uh, in the exemption and because they no longer exist the whole kind of exemption falls apart, really. Yeah, yeah. So they withdrew it 
the CA withdrew it, um, or the Department for Transport, Department for Transport. It might be a combination of both. Either way, it was withdrawn, which kind of threw everything up in the air. You know, that meant that all of a sudden, well, the emergency services kind of went, "What can we do?" You know, we were yeah. using this. You know, what what are we supposed to do? Now, we did contact the CA about this because you know, rightly so, there was a lot of users out there, you know, emergency service users, who were really worried about you know what they could do now. You know, essentially, they were somewhat grounded unless it was yeah, a a, yeah. Um, a planned mission so the ca did get back to us and they said yes it has been withdrawn and you know this is the reason why it's because the articles are um withdrawn the department for transport are working on a new exemption and what they have said is you sh- the emergency services should still be able to use the the original exemption as long as they keep within the you know the the spirit of it, you know, yeah, um, yeah. it's a bit. It, it might be a bit loose, you know. It's it's mm. you know, the good thing is the image sanction was there, so if anything did ever happen, they say, look, I was operating under this exemption, whereas now it's a bit, I would say, a bit ropey. But the CA have said, if it's for saving life or limb, still use the wording of the exemption. Right, um, I and, see. Yeah, and we'll cover that in just a moment. Yeah, because I guess actually, uh, and obviously they're still working on the new version, I suppose, is is what's happening at the moment. It's not going to be any different. It's just going to be worded differently to kind of reflect the new regulations, I guess, really, isn't it? So I suppose using the old one, yeah, yeah, that's what we assume. Um, Using the old one still makes sense. And, you know, like you say, it's within the spirit of what they were doing before. And if they did ground everyone, they might essentially be, you know... uh, killing people i suppose by not letting them use these these aircraft so i think it's a, a good decision by the cia and uh, i guess yeah we're just waiting on kind of the new version of it and uh, seeing kind of what that'll uh, include i suppose won't it yeah exactly so uh, i mean if uh, i mean most emergency services who have their own drone crews will hopefully have a copy of this um downloading. they will be aware of it and what the scope of the exemption mm. was slash yes, is yes. um but if if you aren't aware, get in contact with us. We we do have a copy of the the original exemption and the wording. Um, you know, get in contact with us. We we can provide you with that. But most emergency services will will know that already. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Okay. So um, let's uh, now talk about sort of what the exemption actually enables uh, emergency services to do then. So we briefly sort of started to touch upon it. But uh, uh, first of all, obviously, we talked about uh, it's only applicable uh, to blue light services. So obviously the police, ambulance and uh, fire crew, and it's not for public use. Okay, even though I I expect a lot of the public would love to use it, uh, they can't, unfortunately, obviously, because we're not saving lives. So I will just kind of reiterate. So if you're working, not working, if you volunteer for a search and rescue organization this doesn't apply to you it's only for emergency the actual emergency services so you know if you've got an a2c of c and you volunteer for search and rescue you should only work within the bounds of your permissions this is only for uh, for fire ambulance and um police so yeah. not for you know another organization no no that's exactly right yep yeah. so uh, obviously to start with uh, they 
need kind of as a baseline uh, an operational authorization so that's kind of the standard which i think is good because it teaches people who uh, again might not be from a drone background all about the safety and kind of the pre-flight checks and all the stuff we go over in the course which i think is a really good baseline and this is kind of like uh, an add-on to uh, the sort of the the benchmark or the default i suppose really so that's the uh, the, the sort of the, the way it starts uh, and obviously then if uh, these people use the exemption, uh, the crucial thing is that it needs to be uh, logged every time they go outside of the the sort of the general permissions, I suppose, really, isn't it, Adam? Is that is that about right? Yeah, that's it. So any time that any remote pilot uses the exemption, they should log all the details, you know, what they would do, why they had to use it, log as much yeah. detail as you can in a log, keep that log. Um, you might have your own kind of, procedures within the organization you, know, you send it to the I don't know, chief pilot or whatever but either way it has to be logged every single time you have used it and then that will then get submitted to the ca um at the end of the the renewal period so when your operational authorization comes to renewal the um, whoever's the accountable manager will submit all those logs of every time it was used to the ca for them to review and actually the ca can ask to to see these logs at any time uh during that period as well so it's not just you know they will see it you can't just leave it to the last minute and they you know, make them up <laughs> has to be logged has to be filed um for the ca to to see at the end of um uh, during the renewal or beforehand yeah so a bit like normal flight logs actually isn't it i i guess just with more detail i guess then the cia can keep a tab on what's going on otherwise people could be doing you know sort of anything uh, at any time and i suppose that that could be seen to be a little bit uh, more dangerous so i guess now they can keep tabs on exactly when it's been used and you know whether it's been worth it i guess too because i i suppose that's really important if they use these permissions and it never helps anyone i guess then they might start to think well actually it's more dangerous shall we rein it in and or, or vice versa mm -hmm. so i think that's interesting too uh and also they need to um practice uh in a simulated environment uh sort of a, a a mock type of um sort of rescue attempt i suppose really or something similar so uh obviously if they are flying outside of uh the standard permissions obviously it, it it's quite quite a lot harder to, to operate like that it sounds like it's easy oh just you know just fly the drone much further away you know there's a lot more to it than that and if you've never done it before or you've uh you know haven't done it for six months or so then actually it could become more dangerous doing that so practicing the situations and the sort of procedures really makes everything a lot more safer as well and that's something that they have to do at least once once a year adam is that right yeah so once every at least once every 12 months yeah. you know i would almost argue once a month you know mm. especially if you're not using these exemptions often you know practice 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 you don't want to be you don't want to be the first time in a live environment you know no. three <laughs> three o'clock in the morning dead of night yeah. howling wind and rain you know and you're like you know you've been told right you need to find this person and you say right this is the first time i'm flying out to you know <laughs> a thousand meters or two thousand yeah, meters yeah. um you know you don't want to be the first time make sure that you've you're aware of you know how the aircraft reacts you know what what's going to be on screen what you're going to be looking at you know mm. it's got to be you've got to practice this to make sure that you're comfortable flying because you know it is an increased risk when you're yeah. when you're flying beyond visual line of sight when you're flying uh you know in in environments where you know it isn't always sunny you know bright sunny days you know you, you will likely be operating potentially dead of night freezing cold weather you know get yeah. out and, and practice in these conditions beforehand um, yeah. and again 
log that practice as well. Um, yeah. So the CA can see that you have been practicing these in a simulated environment. Um, yeah. It must be done under the supervision of a nominated uh, training officer. Um, mm-hmm. So the, again, the organization should have a training officer. They should oversee it and just make sure it is being done correctly and safely and in a, a sterile environment, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So that's kind of sort of the background, I guess, as uh, again, as we've gone over. So uh, we'll actually talk about now uh, the the actual kind of um, numbers, I guess, really. So uh, to start with, obviously, normally we're limited to 400 feet as uh, drone operators um, uh, or 100 feet above the highest object. So we can obviously use that to our ability as well. So um, obviously that's uh, fairly useful for sort of general use. Obviously, now for the exemption, um, they can actually fly uh, higher than that, can't they, Adam? Yeah, sorry, Tom, just correct the last bit. So we can, as a normal operator, up to 400 feet, we can go 15 metres above the highest object. I think you were reading my, perhaps my notes a bit awkward. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a bit uh, ahead yeah. of myself, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, as a normal operator, up to 400 feet or 15 metres above That's the right. highest object under the exemptions, you can fly above 400 feet... Um, uh, yeah you fly above 100 feet or up to uh, 100 feet above the highest um, object um, within the sky so um, it should only be used you know under you know extreme again extreme circumstances if you need that kind of wider view as it were yeah Uh, yeah. but yeah you you can go um, up to 400 feet above the highest object within the vicinity Mm. which is quite useful Um, so if a building 700 feet you know you could go up to 800 feet you know, yeah. if it's within a close vicinity. Right. Um, yeah, and then we've got the, obviously the, uh, so that's that's the height. So what can we do distance-wise, Tom? Uh, so obviously normally we're limited to 500 metres horizontally, so hopefully we all know that. Uh, but with uh, the exemption, this can be extended uh, out to uh, 2,000 metres, uh, which is, you know, four times as much, which is brilliant. Um, and uh, potentially up to 3,000 metres um, with uh, approval from the tactical uh, commander as well. So you can push the envelope as long as you've got permission, but this would only be in extreme circumstances because that's, you know, pushing on for three kilometres away now, which is which is pretty far. Uh, and so really, you know, the, the danger has to outweigh kind of the, the, the safety element, I suppose, of it too. So Obviously, that opens up a lot more scope, and uh, uh, especially for um, searching for missing persons, etc. That would obviously be very useful too. So, yeah, two thousand meters is kind of the norm, I guess. Any further than that, it starts to become uh, a little bit more. Um, you know, you need permission from that uh, tactical commander, don't you, Adam? Yeah, that's it. So, the sort of different staggers as you know up to a thousand meters up to two thousand meters and if you need to go beyond two thousand meters and potentially beyond three thousand which is very very unlikely yeah um, at each stage you need permissions from you know sort of different officers as it were um to say do i have permission to go this further and you'll have to justify yeah is it exactly. worth going out to a thousand two thousand meters three thousand meters under very very extreme circumstances yeah um, and again yeah. as you've already said most of this will be for search and rescue you know if you are having to cover a large area um you know that gives you that extra scope rather than going out to that 500 meters and having to you know pack up again move on to the next field do another 500 meters it gives those um remote pilots on the ground just that little bit of extra scope to to yeah, yeah push the envelope 
Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's essentially what they can do. So I think pretty useful, to be honest. And uh, like we've mentioned before, obviously, primarily it's going to be used for search and rescue because obviously you're you can't rely on someone being sort of uh, lost or missing within your 500 meter radius. You know, ideally, that would be brilliant, but uh, they might probably push a little bit further than that. Uh, and obviously, uh, maybe flying higher in certain instances, such as, uh, you know, a, a building fire or something like that, you know, to get away from kind of the heat and everything like that, you might need to be slightly higher than uh, the restraints that you'd normally be used to which is your 400 feet too so i think in in sort of a lot of situations this exemption is going to be really useful and i imagine in an emergency situation they emergency services probably use it quite a lot i should think actually which is brilliant and really i i, I guess that another thing to to be aware of is the fact that they can just turn up and fly you know that's i think um, like a reactionary type of flight is is also as useful as flying further and higher i think as well isn't it Adam? would you agree yeah, I think they have to do a d- dynamic risk assessment on the ground, but you know they don't have yeah. to. You know, it's funny actually because even though we say, even though we say, you know, it's reactionary, there is still an element of planning that they will always do beforehand. You know, they won't yes. always just you know rock up without knowing absolutely nothing no. before <laughs> before these guys turn up. Actually, they've probably done quite a lot of pre-planning very quickly. You know, they will you know perhaps got the maps out and said, right, you know, where where are we actually flying? What's here? What are the local landmarks? Um, you know, where was the the person seen? You know, they will actually have done quite a lot of planning, and then once they've got boots on the ground, they will then you know do a quick dynamic risk assessment, gather more information from wherever the you know the perhaps the officers are on the ground, and then they'll you know work out okay, let's get out, let's let's get the bird up and 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 take a look. Mm. Um, so yeah, even though you know, we do say you know it's reactionary, actually, there's a lot of planning that quickly happens to yeah. make sure that it is actually still done relatively safely that's right yeah and training as well obviously you know it's not just someone who's done the done the gbc great now you can use the exemption because you're in the police force you know there's more training to be done uh purely because of what they can actually do with it so i think there's that element too that we need to explain as well so i think that's obviously important too um and uh, i guess lastly then to kind of wrap up uh this segment um why why are we talking about this on this podcast? You know, why is it interesting or useful for um, sort of the public who are flying drones to, to know about this exemption? Well, I think the most important thing is to understand that um, obviously a lot of emergency services will be using drones, I think, in in certain circumstances. And it's useful for the public to understand that they might be flying further away, they might be flying higher, and not to put the general public's backs up about kind of how come they can do this that and the other you know it's it's to sort of make people aware i suppose of the fact that they are able to do this legally and they've had training and it's all kind of above board isn't it really so i think that's the the sort of the most important thing uh to to sort of go over and also to make people aware that maybe at incidents there will be drones in the area so um again if you spot a fire or you you hear about someone who's missing uh, and you think actually oh i might go and you know use my drone to help out they'll probably be someone there already with a drone uh with with more training than you potentially and able to you know sort out the problem and find the person or get the data in a safer way so i think that's also probably quite important to explain as well isn't it adam yeah absolutely it's it's i think that's critical things you know if there is an incident don't as much as you perhaps you want to get your drone up to you know have a look yourself (laughs) actually just think am i going to be impeding on what is happening you know on mm. on the ground you know if there is a, a major fire if there is something happening you know just just think actually let's not get my drone up because there might actually be another drone in the sky which is from the emergency services being used which is being used to you know, 
protects life and limb. Um, yeah. So it's just just being safe, really, and you know, just just mm. use a bit of common sense. Um, yeah. And this, you know, a lot of the these exemptions will be used in rural locations. And actually, you know, from us, that's the A3 subcategory of the open category, mm. which you know we will be out there thinking, oh, there's a lots of you know lovely open land. <laughs> but you know, it could be there might be a drone already there which is being used for the emergency services so it's just one of those you know just always don't don't have your you know your eyes always on on the screen you know make sure you're all looking up in this looking up at the sky because there might be an aircraft already out there um so it's just just being aware of what of your surroundings that's right yeah and i think if i remember rightly i might be making this up entirely but uh, i think i remember chris rainford saying that if they do spot another drone in the area they have to land theirs was that was that right or something if i remember rightly i think that's the safest thing they'll do because yeah if they yeah. don't know what's what's going on that's yeah that's adding extra a level of uh risk yeah to an already risky operation so yes. it's all, yes. sometimes safer to just for them to just land until they've worked out what the hell's going on mm. um, so that's another thing to make people aware of i guess isn't it too yeah so that's it if you see an inc- if you see an incident happening keep your aircraft grounded yeah. um you know until it until it's it's resolved because again there might be an idea a drone that's being used for the protection um of of the public yeah, that's right. Yeah. And lastly, I think it's important to note that uh, uh, there, there probably won't be a NOTAM in the area either for this type of flying. Uh, a little bit like low flying full size aircraft, you know, they can uh, fly in different areas at low altitude, uh, essentially whenever they want to uh, in, in certain areas. So it's, again, the same kind of for the emergency services. So they're not going to have time to place a NOTAM in the area. So you've got to use your eyes and ears i think in these certain locations to to spot aircraft and it's exactly like we say on the course that's your best your best way of uh, avoiding any potential problems anyway is using your eyes and your ears and if you see if you hear something just get your aircraft down on the ground and and, and wait to see what happens i think is the best plan yeah it's a bit like giving way to, to the emergency service you know when you're in the car yeah. you know you hear you hear an ambulance a fire that the fire service come in the police you know the cars cars <laughs> just see make path you know they make way they give yeah. way to yeah, the exactly, emergency yeah. services and that's a common courtesy we should do as, as remote pilots as drone operators to give way to the emergency services at mm. an incident because it's about protecting life yeah i think that's a good analogy actually i like that yeah exactly we all seem to do that as you know as as uh, car operators or you know vehicle operators so why should it be any different for, for for drone operating too? So I think that's great. And I think that quite nicely wraps up uh, this segment, Adam, do you think? I think that's it. So yeah, the key thing is, you know, if, you, if you're a part of the emergency services, you can still use the exemption, um, at least in the spirit of, you know, still log any time you have, you know, to use what was the exemption still log it keep a log anytime you've used it submit that with your operational authorization or whoever's you know the nominated kind of accountable manager um at the end of your renewal uh still still use it and if you are still unsure you know if you want this in in writing contact the ca you know get, get it from the horse's mouth as it were um we do have an email which you know we can provide you but if you are unsure contact the CEA um, and they'll be able to provide further guidance. Brilliant. 
yeah, great. Okay, there we go. So hopefully that was a, an interesting subject uh, for, for our listeners. And uh, we can move on now to kind of the last seg- uh, segment of this episode. Uh, and we've actually got a couple of questions. So we'll go over uh, the first one. Um, so the first question is from uh, Gordon Gilchrist. So he's got a couple of questions, actually. He's made quite uh, quite good use of uh, the the email uh, that uh, that we say to, uh, to, to sort of uh, contact us with. Uh, and so we'll go over these uh, these three questions now uh, from Gordon. So first of all, the, the first question he's got is, for uh, legacy aircraft so if uh, Gordon's operating a legacy aircraft let's say uh, a Mavic Air for etc after the transitional period is there anything he can do to enable him to carry on using this aircraft uh, as he is at the moment so would the A2C of C be useful or would the GBC be useful Um, Adam what do you reckon for this? Yeah, so there's a couple of things to kind of provide guidance with this. So the, the the key thing actually is, well, if you want to continue to fly your aircraft, your legacy aircraft, um, closer to people in built-up areas, uh, GVC will certainly help getting that operational authorization. As I'm always, you know, making people aware, there is an additional cost with that, an ongoing yes. cost. So it's got to be worth it, you know, for for your requirements. But it's certainly, I think, worth doing. The other thing um, I will just add in, uh, which some people are aware of, I don't know if we've spoken about this on the on the podcast mm. yet, actually, is um, EASA, or the European Commission, have extended the transitional period for Europe for an additional right. year. So yeah. um, ours currently ends at the end of this year, at the end of 2022. They've now ex- Europe have now extended theirs till the end of 2023, so beginning of 2024. So... Um, we might follow suit again i we haven't heard anything from the ca we've got nothing in i wouldn't be surprised if we don't follow suit um because of how aligned our regulations are and i think it makes sense to extend it for another year personally i would have liked to have seen the transitional period be four years we've got two if it gets extended for another year that's great um but it's not guaranteed so at the moment the transitional period as of today, we are shooting this the 6th of April 2022, mm. just making sure you're aware of that. Yes. As of today, our transitional period in the United Kingdom ends 31st of December 2022, the end of this year. But there is always the chance that it might get extended, uh, but that will have to go through, um, uh, essentially through Parliament. Yeah, it'll have to be yeah. probably put through as a, a statutory instrument. Yeah, it sounds like the logical way to go, I think, from from a personal point of view, because, yeah, we're running out of time now, aren't we? I think so. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll um, see. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, a, a, again, the uh, the key phrase here. Wait and see. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, the next question um, from Gordon as well. So let's uh, talk about the Mini 3. So we've seen a few pictures of uh, potential models and, uh, you know, sort of what it might look like and that it might exist, etc. Um, so if we talk about the Mini 3, would it be subject to the new forthcoming classification rules? So... Yes, it would, wouldn't it, Adam? I think realistically, you know, if it if it comes out, it needs to be classified. If it's not classified, it's going to be a legacy drone. Uh, however, there is a small caveat that if it's obviously under two hundred and fifty grams, um, it's it's not quite as important. Is that right, Adam? Yeah. So if it's if it's sub two hundred and fifty grams, should be able to continue to fly that beyond the transitional period. Um, mm. If it gets released at the end of this year, though. Um, it will have to be certified, so it will likely uh, yes. be likely be a C zero aircraft. Could be a C one though. It depends on how the wording is based mm. on this maximum takeoff mass. You know, what's its potential? Um, you know, maximum takeoff mass. Um, yes. It could be a C one. Uh, it's more likely a C zero though, if if it 
does come under the classification. Yeah, I think I think the mini is always going to be under that two hundred and fifty grams, isn't it? Whatever they do to it, I think that's their yeah. key goal for that that actual model. So I think that's it. Yeah. So hopefully that's uh, a bit more useful as well. Uh, and lastly, uh, this is uh, another question uh, again from Gordon about uh, the DJI Care refresh. He says, you know, is it worth going with, or is there sort of another option so it all depends on i think what you're doing with the aircraft as a, as a hobby flyer i would say the dji care refresh seems pretty good you know they say you know if you lose your aircraft or you crash your aircraft it should be replaced by dji for a certain amount of uh, sort of money up front i think it's i can't remember i think it depends on what model you've got it kind of goes up obviously the more expensive the aircraft i think the only downside with dji care refresh is the fact that you have to have an aircraft uh, of some description to send back to them to get another model so obviously if you have a flyaway and you lose the aircraft totally or you crash into you know some water and you can't retrieve the drone then actually i don't know if they'll cover uh, we might need to double check that or you might need to maybe go into the terms and conditions of that but that's what i've heard sort of on the grapevine so with that in mind I would say normally that's what's going to happen to the aircraft essentially you know unless you do have an accident and it drops out the sky and you can retrieve it then obviously that, that that's good um, and obviously then they will uh, sort of uh, either repair or replace the aircraft but it all depends on what you're doing because actually if you've got commercial drone insurance anyway from uh, cover drone or someone similar then actually you're almost double insuring yourself I would say so actually yeah it might be a good idea to decide which way you're going to go and either go with a DJI Care Refresh or, or some other type of insurance. Is that what you would say, Adam? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously worth considering you know, looking at what insurance, if you have got insurance, whether you've got pro- your product is insured or your equipment is, is insured. That's the, So if you've only got public liability insurance, your aircraft won't be insured. Um, so just double check yeah, whatever insurance you've currently got, if you've got equipment insurance. And if you have got insurance, you know, make sure it does cover your equipment. You know, if you've got mm. a... Um, you know, Mavic 3, for example, you know, it depends on which model you've got. If you've got the Cine model, you're going to need to make sure it's over you know, four <laughs> grand's worth of equipment insured. You know, Don't just put the bare minimum because you want to shave a couple of pounds off here and there. Yes, um, yes. You know, make sure you've, you've covered your equipment. Again, you might want you might make sure it's actually all covered for, for um, loss as well in terms of you know, being stolen. Hmm. Um, you know, DJI Care Refresh, again, worth double-checking. I'm fairly certain it doesn't cover you for all if it was stolen. So... That's another kind of reason why you might want to have it um, insured. Yeah. Um, so you know, if if it was stolen out of your your car, not you should be keeping it in your car, but you know, or from your house if your house was yeah, was yeah. burgled or whatever. You know, make sure that you, you you've got yourself covered. Or even you know, in if it was stolen from you personally, I've I've personally when I was a cameraman, I literally had a camera stolen off my shoulder. Um, oh, wow. in in london um you know we we managed to get obviously we we were insured we had equipment insurance so we were able to retrieve the get the money back for that but you know yeah yeah there are thieves out there who will literally <laughs> steal it from you it's happened to me in the past year with a big camera off bloody moped um come <laughs> driving past middle of london so yeah it does yeah. happen you know i think it's worth having insurance you know. <clears throat> it's usually a couple of pounds yeah you know if, if you well, it's, it, on top of your public liability insurance, it might just be you know, a few extra quid um, a yeah, month to yeah. insure your, your equipment and at least you cover them for all eventualities. Yeah, okay, brilliant. There we go. Well, uh, thanks very much, Gordon. There were some uh, good questions there. Uh, we'll now move on to um, our next uh, question, and this is from David Clark, and uh, he's actually sent in uh, an audio recording. So, uh, yeah, David, take it away. Hi, yeah. Um, I wonder if you can give me some advice, really, and some tips. Um... Basically, I have my uh, GBC, I have my A2CFC. I've been flying for 
year and a half now, but I'm still finding that I've, I'm paranoid when I'm out flying of people coming over to me or people questioning what I'm doing, people worrying that I'm invading their privacy. I know what I'm doing, I know the rules and regs, I don't fly close to people, I don't fly over gardens, I don't fly over crowded areas or anything like that. I tend to stick to the countryside, which is quite limiting. And I just want to get over that fear of um, confrontation, um, fear of people's sort of, sort of mindset when they see a drone. And I just wondered if you had any tips and advice to overcome this, please. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks, David. That's a great question. And this one actually comes up quite a lot. And when we used to teach, uh, when I used to teach the course uh, in person, uh, sort of over the years, this this always came up time and time again. And it's quite a tricky one to kind of um, answer, I suppose. But there's a few tips that we can kind of give uh, to our listeners and, and David as well about this sort of thing. So obviously what we're trying to do here is um, deal with uh, people uh, coming up to you while you're flying uh, and if there's any confrontation or if there's any people who seem to be angry about what you're doing how can you deal with that so I think the first thing that I would do now and this is quite a new thing because obviously back in the day uh, this wasn't overly possible to do but I would say create yourself um, a little uh, ID card okay so if you've got the A2C of C or you've got the GVC I think David's uh, got uh, either both or at least the GVC anyway then I would say you can actually um, um, get that PDF into a smaller version and actually then um, go on eBay or something similar and get a little ID card printed that you can keep on a lanyard maybe around your neck while you're flying because at least then if someone does approach you straight away you look a bit more professional you can actually show them the card and even if they don't know what the card is all about at least it looks like something that you should probably have you know a little bit like a driving license so straight away it kind of puts someone at ease to think that you're not just anyone off the street flying a drone you're you're qualified so that's what I would say um, to start with uh, another thing that I used to say as well is that actually um, just be as nice and as over friendly as you can normally that kind of reduces any conflict anyway you know maybe let them have their little rant you know don't interrupt them let them you know get a bit worked up and then and then say okay yeah I totally understand what you're saying let me land the aircraft and uh, I'll have a chat with you and then what I would say off the back of that is then if you start to sort of say, look, come over and have a little look at what I was actually doing and you can actually show them the footage and you can show them that, you know, you can't even make out their identity on the screen, let alone, you know, anything personal. Uh, you know, you can't even see in their bedroom window, for example, or, you know, you can't even see their number plate because I think a lot of people who don't know about drones think that they're these incredible machines that can, you know, zoom in 100x and uh, pick up all their personal details and information and what I would say kind of um, by explaining that is uh, try to educate people I would say as best as you can so if you show them what you're doing and uh, you sort of show them that you're not spying on them uh, and you know you've got all the, the insurance you've got all the licensing then hopefully you can kind of reduce their anxiety a little bit and actually give them some education that they can go away with and start to realize that drones aren't a bad thing you know they're potentially a good thing um and that's as sort of far as you can go adam is that is that sort of what you would agree with basically yeah absolutely i mean I, i've always got a good feature which is you know shower them with kindness um you know just 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 keep calm keep calm obviously keep safe you know keep the yeah. um you know get the drone landed that's the key thing for you as the remote pilot is just actually is keeping safe because whilst they're yeah whilst they're you know, ranting away obviously that's mm. quite a stressful environment for you but just try to focus on you just bring that aircraft back 
get it landed and then deal with the situation yeah, then and you know and, and just keep calm yeah that's it and and another thing that i just thought of it might be actually a good idea to actually ask them you know what are you worried about you know why have you come over like this you know what do you think i'm doing and then they can explain it and then you can say well actually look i i can't do that or i haven't been doing that or you know that's impossible i I think that's a good thing because at least then they feel like they're listened to and that normally helps them kind of get it off their chest as well and if if, if you can say look that i i literally have no way of doing exactly what you've just told me uh that i'm you know supposedly doing in inverted commas you know then i think that also shows them that you know like i say before these drones aren't a piece of military equipment you know like uh, i think a lot of people think it's uh like a military drone you know up at three thousand feet with a with, with a pinpoint view of a postage stamp on the ground you know it's it's nowhere near that 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 good unfortunately <laughs> so i think uh, showing them that is, is is the best way and like adam said you know just be as friendly as you can and to be honest unless they're out for a fight they'll probably back down and actually maybe be quite interested at the end of the yeah. day I'd say probably perhaps we we some people could be quite patronised because they say, oh, I know the regulations I know my mm. rights actually you know, don't I'd say don't patronise somebody yes educate you know just you know make sure that they are aware you know, oh actually you know you can do this you know here's here's the link where you you can read up on this you know, obviously there's a CA website you know there's the Damares they can actually you know, perhaps send them to the, to those like H, to those, yeah. those websites um, but you know don't don't patronise people because no. that, so that gets people's backs up then even more yeah, that's you know, and that's much when they're like well i'm just going to call the police you know and they can deal with it it's like well actually yeah, let's yeah. um because that'll just make things you know, worse for, for you obviously you, know, you might be there for a job you know, and, you know explain why you're there you know just just explain the best you can and just stay calm yeah yeah exactly right i think that's it and the, you know the the worst thing you can do is start shouting back at them and getting angry that's the, the absolute worst thing so so please don't do that and i'm sure david you wouldn't be anyway so uh, yeah there we go so hopefully that was useful uh, for you david and also for everyone else listening um, as well so that takes us quite nicely to uh, the end of uh, this episode too so just a few uh, bits of uh, housekeeping i suppose really so uh, don't forget again we've just answered some questions if you've got your own questions please send them into dronecast at uavhub.com an audio message is great because it makes it a little bit more interactive but uh, if not we'll always just read out your question normally as I have done already uh, subscribe if you haven't already uh, if you don't mind reviewing the podcast on Apple podcast or even Spotify or any of the other uh, podcast services that's great and it really helps us kind of spread the word I suppose really which is great uh, and also as we've mentioned before uh, if you don't mind you know tell a friend who isn't listening uh, and that'll always help us uh, with our listener numbers uh, as well but that's pretty much uh, everything Adam anything else to mention no, I think that's that's pretty much wrapped everything up. And if there's if there's any topics you do want us to cover, again, if it's not a question, but if it's a topic you'd like us to you know, discuss and go over, send them in. Dronecast at UAVHub.com. Um, you know, if we get a common theme, we'll discuss it. Exactly. Yeah, great. Okay, well, anyway, uh, thanks again, Adam. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. I might go uh, have a, a quick nap now, potentially, and uh, lie down. T- t- take some medicine as well, <laughs> and then we'll be raring to go uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time. But, uh, yeah, there we go. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, fly safe and blue skies, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Bye.